Hi, ladies. Welcome to the Blue Stocking Baptist podcast. My name's Hannah, and I'm here with Esther. So today we're going to be discussing what self-esteem is and the concept from a secular perspective, as well as how it has bled into the church. So the definition of self-esteem is confidence in one's own worth or abilities or self-respect. Synonyms are pride, self-regard, self-confidence, and faith in oneself. So we're going to explore if self-esteem is biblical and what the natural consequences of being self-focused are. We are also, um, we're aware that this may be something that is totally contrary to everything that you've ever believed. Self-esteem is a well-accepted and even prized virtue in Christian circles. So we're going to be asking the question, is self-esteem actually a virtue? And who is ultimately worthy of our esteem, Christ or ourselves or both? So Esther, starting out, do you want to kind of explain um, what secular self-esteem looks like and how it's present in the church? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so self-esteem outside of the church, like the secular view of self-esteem, um, is basically relying on earthly or fleshly resources like ourselves or things that can things that we can obtain. It leads us to self-worship, which is just idolatry. We listened to a couple different podcasts about this subject and came across a couple that were um, basically just 30 minute long chants of self-empowering things like you are powerful, you're a winner, you're successful. And like for 30 minutes straight, you were supposed to listen to these chants over your life and basically I guess speak them over yourself is basically what it, the purpose of, of those podcasts were. What's crazy is those podcasts actually cost money. A couple of them actually cost money to listen to. So um, the whole chanting over, claiming over, however you want to say it, is not rooted in biblical truth. There were even some that, some of those were secular. I think they were more so secular podcasts, but there were a couple. Um, targeted towards like Christians. Um, and they, they kind of leaned more towards the wording of like claim these things over your life or claim these blessings. Um, but that kind of language is never found in scripture. Yeah. I mean, we're not told to pray in this way or speak in this way. I listened to another podcast. Um, this was a Christian podcast called Adam's Rib. And on episode seven, these two self-professing Christian women, they were discussing, like Esther was saying, basically speaking over your self-affirmations. Um, so they gave examples such as, I am rich, I am beautiful, and I am living the abundant lifestyle. And one of the co-hosts, she went on to say, quote, I have to tell myself these things or I will lose sight of who I am. So, I mean, we want to show that this type of behavior is strikingly self-focused. In the podcast, mm -hmm. Adam's Rib, they had started out by saying that, quote, it does not depend on what we do, but who we are in Christ. Which, which is good, which is good. Like that, that's a good statement, but. Yeah, but like the direction that we want to go, we want to take our podcast in that <laughs> direction. We would agree with that, but they took it a completely different direction. They didn't point us back to Christ, but. They told us why we, sh why we should believe these things simply because we are, which would mean since we exist and God created us, we should be proud of who we are. Esther and I really want to show that this is not a biblical concept. Um, scripture was given to us so that we can glorify our Father in heaven, and the Bible is not a self-help manual on the how-tos of life. So that would include um, how to be happy, how to be skinny, how to make a lot of money, how to feel confident in your body. Rather, the Bible tells us how to glorify God, and it's an instruction manual for holiness, and it's truth and knowledge and how we grow as Christians, but it is, its sole purpose is not to make us feel good about ourselves. It's not about us. And so this also doesn't mean that we're advocating self-loathing, simply because we're stating that the Bible doesn't, isn't about us doesn't mean that we're telling you that you should think very low of yourself either, but we're going to talk more about that later. Right. So one thing that we wanted to mention or one, one tendency that we've seen um, from Christians who try to counsel 
those with a low view of themselves is to tell them that they're highly valuable because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. So they try and point to that as something to, I guess, raise the person's self-esteem or to raise the person's view of themselves. They'll say things like, you were so valuable to God that it took the death of Christ to pay for you, or your worth to God was displayed on the cross. This kind of talk is a distortion of the gospel. The gospel is not God the Son died on the cross because that's how much you were worth to God, or that he died on the cross because he needed you. The gospel is God the Son had to die on the cross to pay the great debt for your sin, not because of anything that you've done that's good or because you are inherently worthy of such a sacrifice, but Christ died for God's glory. And he did so willingly out of love that did not, does not originate because of you, because of us, Mm -hmm. um, but because of who he is. It was not your high worth. It was not my high worth. (laughs) It was the high ransom for our sin. Um, It was the payment of sin. That's how much our sin that's how much our sin got us in debt was it, it needed Christ's perfect atonement. Only Christ, who's truly God and truly man, could take the wrath of God that we deserved for our sin. Yeah, and I mean, this kind of reminds me of a quote that I think is applicable from R.C. Sproul. Um, he says, the greatest distortion in our thinking, dear friends, is thinking that God owes us mercy, that God is somehow obligated to be gracious to us. But think about that. The minute the idea comes into your head that God owes you mercy or owes you grace, let a bell go off in your brain and say, whoops, I'm confusing these concepts. Because grace, by its very definition, is voluntary. God is not required to be merciful. He reserves the right to be merciful to whom he will be merciful and to be gracious to whom he is gracious. You can plead for grace, you can beg for mercy, but you can never, ever demand it. Justice may be required, but never ever mercy. And it is because God is holy that anytime he withholds justice, he is giving grace. So I really think that this quote by R.C. Sproul is um, relevant because we as human beings have a tendency to feel as though God owes us, or we think that we're basically good. We get the idea that God is unjust when he withholds mercy. And we think really highly of ourselves to be worthy of his compassion when the opposite is true. I did want to add this kind of the R.C. Sproul quote really reminded me of something that my pastor says a lot of the times, like the way that he defines grace, um, like a common definition that you'll see of grace is like undeserved favor mm-hmm. in, before God. And our pastor, he'll even take it a step further and say that it's not only undeserved favor, but it's ill-deserved. Like we actually do the opposite to, you know, to deserve favor um because we sin to such a high degree going back to even our gospel episode we talk about how before god we really are not worthy at all and there is no hope for us apart from the gospel Um, yeah we do the we do the we're not just neutral before god mm -hmm. like without you know we're kind of like in the middle here we do the exact opposite that would you know qualify us as righteous (laughs) For God. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, like Esther was saying about um, one of the quotes earlier about, uh, it was by Todd White. She had quoted, um, You're so, you were so valuable that it took the death of Christ to pay for you. Todd White has said something. I'm pretty sure that is exactly what he said in the past about this. And I've seen mm-hmm. lots of people um, make it about themselves. Um, and we're trying to show that like, that's not what the gospel is. It's not about us. Um, and so going back to our topic on self-esteem, like I was saying, I do think that's where it kind of comes into play because we are thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to. And I do believe that this can lead to us saying things like I would never serve a God who would do such a thing. Um, Mm -hmm. when we stumble over doctrines that we're struggling to understand, I don't know if you've ever had that experience with people. Yeah, uh, definitely um, had experience where people say almost that exact same thing, like present them with with a doctrine that kind of shows that we're to become less and Christ is to become more, you know, in our lives in the way that we live. And they say things like, I, I don't, I don't want a God like that if God doesn't let me do this, this or this. Yeah. Um, and it becomes, it kind of, it really shows the heart of 
you know, they'd rather have a God that, you know, lifted them up than a God that humbled them so that he could be glorified. Or I would even say people want a God that's like them. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so they can't, they can't wrap their minds around a God who transcends human understanding. Um, mm -hmm. So I do think that we begin to fall into a trap of pride and self-righteousness when you try to fit self-esteem into a Christian worldview. Um, not that self-esteem is always the root of thinking such wrong things about God, meaning thinking of him that he's like us or thinking that his death on the cross was mainly to boost our own value in that, um, kind of like what we were talking about. But I do believe that there is a connection because at the root, high self-esteem is a prideful state. And the secular view of self-esteem is that like we were talking about those chants, they would say things like, you are awesome. You are powerful. You are great. You are worthy. You're basically good. And we know as Christians, <laughs> and we know as Christians that God is only these things. So when we try to, when we attempt to try to fit self-esteem into a Christian worldview by twisting the language and making the sacrifice about Jesus Christ about us or making the Bible about us and thinking as though everything revolves around us and that God owes us mercy and other thoughts like that. Um, and thinking that we are valuable and worth something through this type of reasoning, I do believe can tempt us to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. And we can start to become prideful. Um, mm -hmm. I, I do think that we begin to become self-focused and not God-focused. So I hope that you're kind of seeing like, okay, I, I can kind of see the point you're making. Self-esteem is not necessarily a biblical concept, but you might be wondering, how am I supposed to view, view myself? Who am I? And um, so it is true that the Lord has told us many true things about ourselves. So we're going to kind of go into that and um, give you bad examples and good examples of that. Um, everything that God has told us in his word about ourselves about our identity in him um, is stated so that we can go back to him and worship and uh, with thanksgiving before him it's also for encouragement that our security and hope is found in christ alone and that our identity in christ is not for our own building up of self-esteem but so that we will esteem god and what he has accomplished for us already mm -hmm. So we want to give another example of how the Christian community can sometimes abuse the Bible and abuse verses to teach that they're promoting a high view of self or to encourage you to have a high self-esteem. Um, and so the example we have is from the text Psalm 139, which states, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. So Esther, do you want to kind of explain why we think that people abuse that verse? Yeah, I think it's well intended. Um, I think a lot of Christians don't realize the context of the verse. Um, they normally just take out um, the, the little snippet. It's not even one full sentence, but the I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Mm -hmm. And they'll tattoo it all over, um, you know, notebooks or t-shirts or their you know, body. their, yeah, their body and their kitchen. Um, yeah. They'll make cute little, cute little stuff to share on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, but they leave out the context of what you just read because out of context, the, the sentence or that, that little portion I'm fearfully, wonderfully made that can be twisted to seem like the verse is supporting like things like the, like self-esteem or self-worth. The reasoning behind that is because in Adam's word, they kind of did this too. They used this verse and they were trying to explain that because we are fearfully and wonderfully made just that and of itself, we should have high self-esteem. And that was their argument. Mm -hmm. um, but we're trying to show that in context, the psalmist is explaining why he praises God. Right. So if we were to read that text again, it says the very first portion of it, I praise you. And then he continues to explain the why. So he praises God because he is fearfully and wonderfully made. The psalmist is explaining that he was made to worship the wonderful deeds and handiwork of God. Mm -hmm. We are made to be reverent of God's awesome works. 
yes, we would affirm that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That is something that we are. Mm -hmm. Um, However, scripture doesn't tell us these things so that we will think highly of ourselves. Ultimately, scripture reveals these things about us, uh, things that make us or things that are true about us as Christians and individuals so that we will think highly of Christ and that we will worship God, who is the creator of all people, both the wicked and the righteous. So now that we've kind of showed you, like we're not advocating that self-esteem is something that should be pursued from a secular standpoint to view yourself as great and awesome and to puff up your own, your own self-worth. We're trying to point you to Christ. You need to look to him. Um, right. and we'll like even more, but go ahead, Esther. Even, even back to the original Google definition of, of self-esteem being, you know, relying on oneself or one's abilities, like that message is so contrary to what the Bible says. And oh, I think yeah. just like our examples show that how, how that the the secular world and it creeping it's slowly creeping into like the christian more christian the christian world christian culture yeah christian culture um even with the you know the christian podcast that we were listening to um i mean that actually does bring up an example that i have it's a secular example i had a friend in high school who he was a self-professing atheist and i remember we were having a religious conversation. We had lots of them. Um, and we were talking about pride and whether pride was a virtue or not. And he very strongly said that pride was a virtue and that we should pursue pride. Um, and I mean, we do believe that self-esteem from a secular perspective is really just pride. Um, and I think yeah. that's kind of relevant to bring into the conversation because he was a atheist saying that pride was a virtue and it made me really upset because obviously the Bible tells us pride is not a virtue and pride was yeah. Satan's ultimate downfall and we all have pride in our life. Um, so I just kind of wanted to mention that, but th- I guess the opposite, so now the opposite topic or the opposite part of this conversation would be self-loathing. Mm-hmm. Um, if you kind of want to talk about that, Esther. Yeah. Um, we definitely want to talk about like, I guess the other extreme would be the unhealthy low view of self where it gets to the point of like self-loathing or self-hatred, um, which is also not biblical. This would be like those who feel hatred about their bodies or hatred over their clothing or hatred over the jobs that they have or hatred because they feel, or they might feel stupid or ugly or weird. Um, hatred because they do not feel as though they are accepted or well-liked. Um, they might feel like uh, life is meaningless or worthless or that they can do nothing right. We do not believe that self-loathing is appropriate either. We want to explore the root of these feelings, a concise explanation of self-loathing um, that we got from Wikipedia. I know we're bringing in the really... <laughs> strong sources here. But. Yeah. Well, it's a really good, I think it's a really good definition. Um, it is. It is. It said, um, self-hatred also called self-loathing refers to an extreme dislike or hatred of oneself or being angry at, or even prejudiced against oneself. The term is also used to designate a dislike or a hatred of a group, family, social class, or stereotype to which one belongs and or has. We think that this is a really good description and captures just how severe the view of self-loathing is. Self-loathing can be a symptom of clinical depression as well. So we want to make really clear before we go into this discussion on self-loathing that if you do have depression to seek help, um, we're also not saying that depression in and of itself is sinful. We're definitely not against getting help for depression. We're not against medication. Um, We really do think it's important for you to get help if you really are struggling with depression. Um, But this is is not a discussion on clinical depression. Um, Mm -hmm. It is a discussion on how a low view of self can sometimes be wrapped up in a warped, sinful perspective rooted in coveting and pride. And we'll give you some examples to see how it's different than what 
clinical depression would be. And we hope that we make it clear um, that they are different. So Mm -hmm. we're strictly talking about how self-loathing and self-abasement are the opposite of self-esteem. Well, we would also reject this viewpoint on how to view yourself. And we want to show that self-esteem is not the answer to self-loathing because oftentimes society will, when you are self-loathing, they will try to boost your self-esteem by, Mm -hmm. again, giving you positive affirmations for who you are or kind of telling you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and fight the fight. I was thinking the exact same thing. (laughs) Yeah. And so it's kind of like putting a silver lining in everything. Uh And it's, it's just basically telling you be happy and be be happy and be content with who you are because you are these things instead mm-hmm. of giving you a real remedy for your feelings and both acknowledging them and trying to show you that they're not biblical. To give you an example, say you as an individual, you are content with who you are. You are content with the clothes you have, the way you look and the skills you have, and you discover Pinterest. So, <laughs> and I'm going to use myself as an example. So when I had first discovered Pinterest, I was maybe 14. Um, I was pretty content with who I was. I, I was content with the clothes I had, the way I looked, the skills I had, you know, whatever made me have good self-esteem about myself. And as I was scrolling through Pinterest, and this includes magazines too, um, Mm -hmm. you see all the cool ideas and all the beautiful people and, I mean, for me, I felt a deep sense of longing, and I don't know if this is true for you or people who are listening, um, but you see perfect homes, perfectly styled beds, you see all the beautiful women, their perfect hair, perfect skin, perfect body types, perfect perfect clothing, um, and this is true for Instagram as well, and yeah. so you start to feel a deep sense of want and lack, and you desperately want what you see portrayed on the internet, in magazines, um, whatever it may be. And so you now start to feel what the world would call insecure. And like we were saying, the world would offer you as a cure. They would say, go buy those clothes, go be like that woman. Um, Or they will offer you, you're already awesome and you're perfect already. But you know that you're not awesome or perfect in comparison to this internet portrayal. So you begin to self-loathe and you feel dissatisfied with the things that you have and you're desiring and longing for more. And I believe that this is in and of itself coveting um, because you want what you do not have and a lack of contentment with what God has given you. I guess that another thing that could happen in this scenario is that you see all the perfect things and you attempt to emulate them and you do so perfectly from the world's, the world's perspective. You make the greatest meal, you set up your house, just like all the pictures and people begin to take notice and praise you and you're feeling encouraged and excited and you're feeling built up that people are acknowledging the things that you've done and we believe that that leads to slipping into pride. And so the world would say that you are someone with high self-esteem or high view of yourself and that you're secure in who you are and you're happy. And we want to show you that when we are not content in Christ and when we are not ultimately satisfied in him and we do not seek our identity in him, we will be prone to fall into the temptation of these sins. We need to find a balance of security in Christ that will guard our hearts and minds from being led astray by our own lusts and desires. And we need to remind ourselves of the gospel every single day, including being in the word of God and remembering who we once were, sinners, wicked, children of wrath, slaves to sin, and who we now are in Christ, redeemed, reconciled, loved, blameless, chosen, called. And we also need to remember that we are still in the already not yet. So we are justified, but we also still wrestle against the flesh and our sinful desires. And when we don't have a balance of remembering these aspects of who we are, I do believe that we lose sight of the gospel and several things can happen, including either falling into self-loathing or falling into um, self-esteem, which we're trying to make an argument is just pride being clothed in different language. So mm-hmm. do you kind of want to explain that more in depth, Esther? So we want to quickly summarize what Hannah just 
said, give you three little practical bullet points for you. Okay, so number one, if you forget who you were, you can become self-righteous, arrogant, and proud. And this can lead to what the world would call a high self-esteem. Mm -hmm. Point two, point two, if you only focus on who you were, you can be pushed into despair as you struggle with the sin that is still present in your life thinking and meditating only on all the horrible sins that you've committed. You forget that you are justified and redeemed. This can lead to self-loathing. Mm -hmm. Point three, when you remember who you are and who you were and the gospel is your anchor, you are kept humble. It teaches you to rejoice, give thanks, and bless the name of the Lord. But it also keeps you from despair because you know who God is and you remember the gospel and how it applies to you. We as Christians do not need self-esteem and we should not be self-loathing. What we need is to be reminded of the gospel and we ultimately need to remember that our identity is securely in him, finding contentment in him. Yeah. Going on to a kind of different, a different point. We also want to bring up another aspect, which could be hidden pride that can often be a form of false humility and piety. So we could seek the approval from people through our behavior of constantly saying things such as, I deserve hell, I'm not beautiful, I'm not talented, I can't sing. And we believe our constant speaking poorly of ourselves is a righteous and good thing to do. So we could be slow to admit when we are good at something for fear of being perceived as proud, or we don't share our talents because we are proud. So this is not a one size fits all, but when we're quick to hide the gifts and talents that God has given us, I think that it's important for us to ask, is it because we have false humility or do we want to appear righteous to those around us? Do we want to be told things like, Esther, you're so humble and gracious when we blow off a compliment and <laughs> act like we're not gifted at something. Um, so a good example of this would be, say I'm really good at singing, which I'm not good at singing, but say I was good and I'm not... <laughs> I'm actually not good at singing, just so you know. Are no. you? Are you? No, I, I could sing for you right now and you would ask me to stop. I'm just being honest. But just as an example, say you were good at singing. But um, So again, I'm going to still use myself as an example, if I was good at singing. So um, say I'm good at singing and I know full well I am good at singing. It would dishonor God for me to say every time someone complimented me or asked me to sing in an event for me to say, oh, I'm not very good at that, or I think that someone else would be better suited for it, or I mean, there's lots of different responses that you could have, but we want you to kind of test your heart to see like, okay, do I do these things? Do I, do I? seek compliments and then dismiss them? Or um, do I think really poorly of myself intentionally, even though I know things are true because I don't want to per be perceived as proud or arrogant? So kind of hiding your gifts and talents. We do believe that it is a good and righteous thing to acknowledge the gifts, skills, talents, and hobbies that the Lord has gifted and blessed us with. So we want to discourage self-deprecation as we believe it's sinful and unhealthy. Um, it is not humility to deny the good things that God has given us. And we ultimately should worship the Lord for all the good gifts that God has given us. We are told that God gives all good things. And we, so we still shouldn't view ourselves more highly than we ought to simply because say you can sing or I can sing, whoever the context <laughs> of it is, whatever it may be for you. But if it weren't for God who gave us vocal cords and the ability to sing, we would have nothing to boast in. Rather, it would be appropriate to give thanks to God for all the good gifts we have, rejoicing in our abilities and giving glory to God. We should acknowledge them, but that acknowledgement should always lead to worshiping God and not worshiping self. So our discussion is not currently on what true humility is. Um, we are going to do an episode on true humility soon. But right now, the discussion, we're just trying to offer many different aspects of how self-esteem and self-loathing can manifest and even how um, there is some false humility in there and pride can take different forms even in that. Um, Esther, do you have anything that you want to add to that example? Yeah, I do have, I have another example that you actually just reminded me that happened this last week. 
Okay. So earlier this week or last week, I had somebody heard about our podcast, right? Okay. The, this individual was like, so I hear that you have podcasts and that you're really, you're really biblically solid. And it was like, whenever I was hearing the things that kind of put me in this weird position, cause I was like, I, I felt like I didn't want to be prideful because of, because of the, I guess like attention towards being doctrinally sound, but it was like a weird, it was like a compliment from the person, but it was like, I know the only reason why I'm able to learn these things is because God's guided me through. Yeah. He's given me the spirit to understand. So it's like, you want to, how would you respond to that? <laughs> I, I really think that, I'm, or how have you, <laughs> I really think a proper response to any, any time that someone compliments you is just to thank you. I think just acknowledging that what they said is true and saying thank you. <laughs> Cause yeah. I think if you say more than thank you, it could lead to you now boasting in right. just the <laughs> things that you have, or you could be tempted to say, Oh no, 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 no. Like my podcast is right. <laughs> Even though you're excited about it and you want to share and you want to be, Hey, listen to my podcast. I actually had a guy come up to me in church and he said, Hey, I heard that you have an awesome podcast. And my response was, yes, we do have an awesome podcast. <laughs> so I don't know if that was a good way of how I should have <laughs> responded to that. Um, I can't really, I can't really remember what my exact response was to this person, but I think it, I think I said, thank you. Maybe I think I said, thank you. And just kind of like walked away. Cause I didn't know what to say. <laughs> or you could be embarrassed by it because now you feel kind of put on the spot um, right? <laughs> to defend yourself almost in a way. It's not yeah. like someone's criticizing you, but yet at the same time, it's you're apprehensive to acknowledge that you have created something that even if, I mean, I think our podcast is good. So I would, I would say, thank you. I think it's good, <laughs> but I don't know that, like we said, this isn't a topic on true humility and Esther and I will both admit that we both have a propensity to pride anyway. So I yeah. think that will be a really interesting um, episode to cover when we do get to it. And I think it'll be really edifying for us to kind of study yeah. it. But Definitely. again, like we said, this is just a topic <laughs> on self-esteem, self-loathing, and all the in-between nuances that go into that. So mm -hmm. um, Esther also had another example about Catholic priests in Ecuador, if you kind of want to share that. It's going back in the direction of self-deprecation. Oh, yeah. Um, so we recently went on our survey trip to Ecuador. So we kind of got to, the purpose of it was to get a better idea of like what life will be like whenever we get to Ecuador and get on the field and everything. Um, and it was really good because we got to experience a lot of the culture there. Mm -hmm. And um, while we were down there, we learned about this practice from Roman Catholics. The, the most predominant religion in Ecuador is Roman Catholicism. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it's like 83% of the professing Christians are Catholic. And a practice that they do there um, during Holy Week which is the days leading up until Easter um, is they have a huge, it's like a parade Roman Catholics who have paid penance and are the like good Catholics will, I can't, I can't even remember how many of them there are, but they will go into the Capitol and they will wear like these robes that are purple that kind of look like the Ku Klux Klan, um, but they're purple with the pointy purple hats. Mm -hmm. And they will have, they'll have um, like barbed wire wrapped around their stomachs or cactus crosses on their backs, or they'll carry like realistic sized crosses um, that they believed that were like, were the size of Christ's cross that he was crucified on. And they'll carry those through the streets and they'll like self- De what is it called? Uh, deprecate? Is that what? Self, self mutilate. Yes, yeah, self mutilate themselves, um, as as an attempt 
the purpose of it is to to be Christ-like in the sense of suffering with him. Um, they're also, they'll also walk barefoot on hot as- asphalt, like all through the streets. It's very sad. We, we talk to people who went, they go to this event every, every year or as often as they can to hand out tracks because of just, hmm. they, they, re- it reminds them of like the depravity of man and how much we, um, we can have it wrong. And, and also another thing that they do is while they're carrying all of these things, you know, hurting their bodies, they're carrying around like shrines of Mary and baby Jesus. And they'll just carry those around in little glass containers while they're ripping their bodies apart. It's scary. It's definitely not prescribed anywhere in scripture that we should self harm ourselves And I actually have a question to ask. Do you, so some of the people who you talk to about who pass out tracks to them, have they mentioned Mm -hmm. if they've ever talked to these penitents about why they're doing what they're doing, like how they feel internally? Because I'm trying to think from a Roman Catholic um, standpoint that Mm -hmm. you, there is, there is, I'm trying to find my words. They are trying to, to use their works to be, to find approval from God. So I'm just trying to figure out how much of that is kind of interwoven. Like if they feel like putting a cactus on their back makes them acceptable in the sight of God. And if they feel like only God would accept self-mutilation, I don't know if you have the answer to the question. I'm just kind of thinking out loud. One, the missionaries who go and pass out the tracks there, I don't know if they've ever had interaction like with the people actually part of the parade because there's a lot of, the, the whole city of Quito is basically swarming with people in the streets. Okay. Like not just, not just the participants, but people watching and mm-hmm. basically like cheering them on. Um, and I think the, the people that they are able to, because there's only, there's like, there's only two missionaries. So they, they pretty much stay on the side, you know, the sidelines of mm-hmm. the, the big parade and hand out tracks there. But I'd be interested to know all, like to talk with people who've actually participated in that to, to understand yeah, what, what is going on? Why do you think you need to do this? Well, something else that you had said about, okay. So about the crowds coming together to cheer these people on, you have, mm-hmm a really good example of false piety and self-mutilation and like, okay, so here's these men walking through the streets and they're trying to do this humble self-loathing, self-mutilating mm-hmm. thing, trying to be Christ-like, more like Christ. But then you have people in the crowd who are cheering them on and basically, uh, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know the hearts of these people, but I feel like if it were me doing this, I would feel, <laughs> I would feel yeah. a lot of, I would feel good about what I was doing. I, yeah. I don't know if you kind of know where I'm, where I'm going. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I get what you're going. Like some, somewhere being the center of this parade with people looking at you saying, Oh, that is a good Catholic right there who, who can take yeah. that. Yeah. I get but you. That's I got not what humility you because humility no, is not something not. that you parade in front of someone like, Oh, look at me. I'm so humble. Look at all the godly things I'm doing. Clap for me. <laughs> Right. Right. So, yeah, that's, it's, it's definitely, definitely not something that, that we see in scripture, that kind of self mutilation or false piety or, you you know, whatever, not biblical. (laughs) And I don't, I mean, I definitely don't think that it's isolated to this specific, um, ceremony. I mean, you had told me earlier that the ceremony stems from old indigenous beliefs in Ecuador paired with Roman Catholic traditions. And um, I mean, even in our own culture, you do see people harming their body quite often. I've known many people throughout my life who have cut themselves, um, physically caused pain. I mean, I do, I do believe that sometimes people get to the point where they, they feel that they deserve to be harmed 
um, because they do not feel like they're good. So a, a very deep seated, deep rooted self-hatred that then is manifested in hurting yourself physically. And is it Leviticus that talks about do not cut your bodies or, um, I mean, these are pagan rituals. They've, they've been happening forever of mutilating your body and worship of idols and self-harming and, um, harming ourselves is really dishonoring to God. And we want to kind of tie it back in. If self-harming physically is dishonoring, why would we ever hurl verbal insults at ourselves or speak in a way that is not true about ourselves because that also dishonors God. So like going back to denying good gifts that God has given you, sweeping them under the rug and always constantly talking bad about yourself. And I've had other people when talking about this episode and trying to pick other people's brains to try to figure out our line of thought. um, Someone had mentioned to me that self-abasement for them is a form of pride. That's something that they recognize. They do that because they're prideful and Mm -hmm. And it's, they, they, they have gone to the other extreme. And I think all of these points are true for all of us at some point. We have all been self-loathing. We've all had high self-esteem because we're trying to show you that really at the heart of it, it's coveting and pride and discontentment and not knowing who we are in Christ. And when we don't have a firm foundation on Christ and esteeming him as the only one worthy of our adoration and worship, it can lead us into falling into these sinful patterns that, that the secular world celebrates, rejoices in and considers virtues. So. So when we esteem ourselves more highly than we should, we're sinning. Um, One clear example of this um, we can see that we can see from and from reading the Bible is Satan himself falling as a result of esteeming himself too highly than he should. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Isaiah 14, 12 through 14 describes the fall of Satan. It says, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. So um, Satan here was esteeming himself worthy without God and even going to the point of saying that he was going to make himself just like God. Mm -hmm. Um, So this shows, this clearly shows us the dangers of pride that comes with having confidence in our own abilities and our own worth. So real quick, before I give this next example, I want to reread the definition of um, self-esteem again. So the definition of self-esteem is confidence in one's own worth or ability or self-respect. So that next um, example that I have from from scripture is um, when Adam and Eve, when they showed confidence in their own abilities to hide their sin from God, when they decided to make the coverings from the plants, They did not understand that the covering that they actually needed would be one that would come from God, from from him slaying an animal, um, which we know is was a shadow of the sacrificial covering to come Christ, the perfect atoning lamb who um, who would take away the sins of the world world. I I also think it's good to point out that this applies to us as well because when we attempt to esteem our own abilities and worth apart from christ we're acting as adam and eve and putting on fig leaves thinking that Mm -hmm. we are able to do do it on our own hide our sin on our own atone for our sin on our own um not that we know everything that adam and eve were thinking in the garden Um, But we do know that the story, like Esther is saying, is pointing to Christ as the perfect covering for sin. Um, So again, like we want to remind ourselves when we trust in our own abilities and worth, we're not looking to Christ because we can't do both simultaneously. You, You either are serving Christ or you're serving self. 
And the Bible tells us that we need to die to ourselves and to live for Christ. So we do, we want to show that again, self-esteem is not biblical, putting our, elevating ourself and abilities above God is sinful. And um, we want to share some verses about how we should view ourselves in light of our sinful tendencies. So the Bible tells us that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's James 4, 6. Um, we can do nothing good apart from the Lord. That's Psalm 16, 2. For we are the circumcision who worship by, spirit, by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Philippians 3, 3. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self. That's 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 2. And then we also have the verse, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of themselves than they ought. And that is Romans 12, 3. So our tendencies as humans include looking within ourselves for our own worth, but scripture clearly shows us that only God is worthy of our praise and adoration, like we had said earlier. So when we're self-focused, this results in us feeling defeated because apart from Christ, we can literally do nothing. And we have no reason to have confidence in our own abilities. So we get our worth from coming into a right relationship with God. This is done when we become children of God, um, which can only happen because of what Christ did, what has been accomplished and finished on the cross for us. Um, the only people who are children of God are those who are Christians. So as people who have been saved by the grace of God and for nothing, we, for nothing good that we have done, nothing inherently valuable in us, and not because God wanted us like, or needed us like we mentioned earlier. So as people who have been saved by the grace of God and for nothing good that we have done or will do um, or anything inherently good or beautiful or worthy in us, but God's mercy towards us, um, it would be inappropriate for us to feel that we have no worth. So we need to remember the gospel and what God has accomplished because when we feel like we have no worth or we feel that we have the inability to do something, we should fixate our eyes on Christ and pray that the Lord would continue to transform us into his image, revealing sin in our lives, making us holy as he is holy um, and not we, we ultimately are not trusting in ourselves, but we're trusting in the power of God um, to sanctify us like he has promised he would do. Right. So just to kind of summarize again, the answer to self-loathing is not a shift towards increasing your self-esteem. And the answer to self-loathing and a high view of self is knowing who you were and knowing who you are in Christ. In Christ, God no longer sees our sin and guilt, but instead the righteousness of Christ. In Galatians 2.20, Paul summarizes how those who are in Christ esteem God's work in their lives over themselves. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So in Christ, we are justified, adopted, being sanctified, and will one day be glorified. And I know that we're repeating ourselves a lot. We've been reiterating again and again. Um, the importance of not esteeming ourselves and to not be self-loathing and to not uh, fall into self-abasement. And the reason why we keep repeating ourselves is because we, we think it's important since, since our view of self-esteem in the Christian culture has been one of a virtue. So we, that's why we keep repeating ourselves because we want to make it very clear that we need to esteem Christ, esteem Christ for his finished work on the cross that saved us from our sin. And in scripture, we can find confidence in his worth and his ability alone. And he is the only one who is worthy of such esteem. Um, we have some more verses that we want to share that magnify the worth and ability of God and why we should only worship him. So Isaiah 42, 8 says, I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. 
Isaiah 6, 3 says, and one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And in Job 38, four through seven, we're told, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding who determined its measurements, surely you know, or who stretched the line upon it. On what were its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Esther, do you want to kind of explain the context of that verse? Yeah. Um, so Job 38, 4 through 7 is um, the beginning of God's response to Job's questioning of God, um, basically um, if you read if you read the whole story of the whole book of Job, um, you see Job gets stripped of everything um, that he held value in in his life, all under the sovereign hand of God. And when Job begins to, you know, question God, God responds, and this is his response, and and basically tells Job, "You don't understand because I'm God, you're not." And, and ultimately, it's a, his response is a lot longer than just these verses. He goes on for, I think, a couple of chapters um, explaining how he has the whole, the whole universe is under his, under his hand and that um, no other being is deserving of the adoration that God, that God has. Another thing in this passage is God is showing Job why Job can trust God because God is sovereign and he created everything and his thoughts are not Job's thoughts and he is far above Job. And Job is actually my favorite book in the Bible. And what's so beautiful is that Job's response to God after God basically um, puts Job in his place, like Job, you're just a mere man and I'm God. Um, Job responds in humility and worship, essentially, and realizes his asking questions were misdirected when he should have been trusting in the sovereign hand of God who cares for him. Job is such a beautiful book in the Bible, but, and has the gospel in it also. That's a different topic for a different day, but I literally love Job. <laughs> so another one of my favorite verses, and I think this perfectly illustrates who is ultimately worthy of such high esteem. Um, Revelation 5, 1 through 14 says, Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elder and one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. So I agree. And the reason why this verse is so incredibly beautiful is because, so some context, John um, wrote this book while he was on the island of Patmos, correct? Had a revelation um, from God. It was the last book written. And 
John describes himself as weeping loudly because there was no one who was worthy to open the seals. What's something that's fascinating to me about this is that John believes in Jesus and he knows that Jesus is worthy. And I do find it fascinating that he weeps. It's almost as though he's forgotten that God is God has sent a sacrifice that he that Jesus is worthy. But um, John weeps loudly, and then it goes on that then the angel tells him, "Look, John, like don't weep. Here's Jesus." And the if you're not familiar with Revelation, you might be kind of confused because it it doesn't say Jesus, but it describes um, verbiage of of terminology of who descriptive words of what Jesus is called in other places. So he is called like the sacrificial lamb and these, the line of the tribe. Of, yeah. yeah. And the root of David, these are all descriptive words for Jesus throughout the Bible. So, you know, when you're reading, this is a description of who is worthy. Jesus is worthy. Um, and then you have, even at the end, you have the four living creatures and the 24 elders, they fall down before the lamb. So they're worshiping. They, they are in a state of humble reverence to Jesus and um, they're holding a harp. I don't know if they're playing the harp, but they're holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense. And they're singing that Jesus Christ is worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because he was slain and by his blood, he's ransomed to people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And he has made us a kingdom and priests to our God. And one day it continues to say that we shall reign on the earth. So Revelation is a forward-looking book. It's telling us, us of what will happen in the future. And this should encourage us greatly because Jesus is worthy. So we don't have to rely on our own worth one day at the end of the world, but we know that God is just and he is faithful and he keeps his word. So we can look at this and we, we can sing with the four creatures and the 24 elders worthy are you to take the scroll and it's beautiful and it's exciting and um it's an edifying edifying piece of scripture so i don't know if you have anything to add on that esther no i just agree with you that <laughs> the 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 last couple times that i've read over this or in this time whenever you read it every every single time where it gets to the part where no, you know John sees that there's no one worthy. And then the elders like, weep no more. I start weeping. And it's just beautiful. Because <laughs> we don't need to weep. We have right. someone who is worthy. And it is God himself. So we ultimately want to show that we do not need worldly secular self-esteem. What we need is to be secure in our identity, which is hidden in Christ. And an outflow of that security is being content with our lot in life. So when we're not as skinny as other women, when our hair is growing, when we have a quirky personality, we can know that these things are what make us unique. And we should not be tempted to self-loathing simply because God created us all differently. We should be completely secure in our identity as Christians, regardless of if we are rich or poor, ugly or beautiful, smart or stupid, funny or boring, we are hidden in Christ, and that is where we find security. So we've left a lot of loose ends with this episode because we intend to use this episode to build um, onto future episodes. Um, some of, We've got some really great topics to discuss. So in our next episode, we want to tackle um, a, a few of these um, questions, like uh, what is a healthy and holy way, or what is the healthy and holy way that we should view ourselves? Who are we? What does the Bible describe about us apart from Christ? In Christ, how does the Bible describe us? Who are we then? And should we love ourselves? And then we will do another episode on what contentment is, as we believe the root of pursuing a higher self-esteem is one, rooted in a confused identity, and two, the fruit produced is a lack of contentment. So one more thing that we want to mention before we close this episode, 
um, is that we do not think it's a sin to be beautiful, to take care of yourself, to wear makeup. Those are just to name a few things. We ultimately want to show that internal beauty is of far greater worth. So American culture places such a high value on external beauty that I think we've allowed ourselves as Christian women to believe that beauty is a Christian virtue. Um, so we want to share some verses about external beauty and how scripture speaks about it. So Isaiah 53, 2 tells us about Jesus Christ, for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. So this verse is important to express why external beauty is not a Christian virtue. Because who is more beautiful than Jesus Christ? Absolutely no one. And the Bible tells us that Jesus was not externally beautiful, that we should desire him. So does this mean that beauty is something that is inherently bad? No, we don't believe it is. Um, because in 1 Samuel 16, 12, this text tells us about David. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. So scripture describes David as a beautiful man, and David was said to be elsewhere as a man after God's own heart. So did his beauty disqualify him from service to God, and did his beauty distract us from who God is? No, because even in this text, the Lord says, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Um, I, I think in the context of this, Esther, correct me if I'm wrong, would be anointing him as the next king, correct? Yes. Okay. So obviously it doesn't disqualify him just because he's beautiful, because he's going to be the future king of Israel. Um, so God did make people in his image, and some of us are very beautiful. So if you are beautiful, you should not be ashamed simply because you have external beauty. God has specifically created some of us to be externally beautiful and some of us not to be, and we shouldn't boast in that. And it's not something um, that we should find our value or worth in. Our caution is that scripture is very clear that real and lasting beauty is in the hidden person of the heart. Real beauty is lasting and is what God defined as a quiet and gentle spirit. I believe that's in first Peter. And that is called precious to God. So we should be far more concerned about our character than external beauty. But we should also not be ashamed of who we are because God has designed us according to his good pleasure. Right. So all of us, it doesn't matter what our talents are, skills, external beauty, whatever it is that God has gifted us with. And we're all gifted with good and beautiful things from the Lord. We all need to seek humility in those things, and we all need to give glory to God in whatever good things he's given us. So external beauty is fleeting. We all know that. But the Bible says a woman who fears God is to be praised. So, I mean, we all know this, but we're all going to grow old, grow ugly, and one day we'll all be in the ground rotting with dirt on our face and maggots in our eyes. And that is not a beautiful picture. And that's the end where we all end up. We all end up in an ugly dirt grave. And we need to be secure in Christ and seek his kingdom and righteousness. And our identity should be in him because external beauty is, again, fleeting. And Christ is the most beautiful possession that we have and in that we rejoice because he is good and he is worthy and he is our good shepherd all those good things all good descriptions about god but mm -hmm. ending this episode we want to um we have a, a a friend and a sister in the lord her name is rebecca womble some of you may know who she is um because the reformed internet world is fairly small so <laughs> I'm imagining or assuming you know who she is, but she has a blog called Wise in His Eyes, and she recently wrote a blog post on self-esteem that we'll share in the episode notes. It's really good. It's worth your time. I mean, we, we couldn't pick a quote from it because we would have just read the whole article. So you need to go read that. Um, we do hope that you enjoyed this episode. We hope it was edifying and encouraging and challenging. We... We ask that you'll pray for what Esther and I are doing, for the Lord to bless it, that it will reach more people. We ask if you would like, share, comment, and rate our podcast so that more Christian women can find us and also be encouraged. Please share this with your friends and family if you enjoyed it. If you enjoyed it. 
And um, also just as a reminder, we do have a Patreon. If you feel led to support us um, financially, we would appreciate it. So we just want to end with a verse. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. We want you to remember that God is the one who we should fully esteem and that he makes beautiful all things in its time. God bless you all, and we hope that you join us next time.